it's still too hot. Okay. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborg Live. Man, can you feel it? You can't? Well, you're gonna feel it soon. We have got that. Uh, we're gonna delve into goodness and truth energy. I can already feel it. So great to have all of you there live with us in the chat. Even if you're watching this afterwards, hello. It's great to have you here. Uh, what we do is we, if you're in the YouTube chat right now, write down your questions. We are gonna spend the whole hour looking at what you want to talk about. Uh, and so it's going to be fun. Let's meet our panel. But you thought it was just me by myself? No, I could never do it. So who who do we have here today with us? Hi, I'm Karen Childs, uh, community manager and writer at Off the Left Eye, and really looking forward to chatting with you all today. Hey, everybody. I'm Chelsea Odner, and I'm a writer and also do production management for Off the Left Eye, and I'm really happy to be here. And how presumptuous of me to not introduce myself. Y'all know who I am, but maybe you don't. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'm the director of Off the Left Eye and, um, I guess, host of this this show and some other shows. And with us, we have, we're all very excited, the three of us you just saw, because we have a returning fan favorite guest. Dr. Sony Werner is going to be here with us. I swear, every time we put up a clip, or just recently we had some clip that, that took out uh, one of her your recent interviews, Dr. Werner and... Uh, all these comments of, oh, I love Sony. I love Sony. I love Sony. So it's so great to, to have you here. Thanks for coming back. Uh, how are you doing? Oh, well, thank you so much for inviting me back. I, it's a privilege. Um, I'm a retired psychology professor, and I've been a Swedenborgian a long time. And right now I'm on the board for the Swedenborg Foundation. So I continue to be involved, and I just love it. So thanks yep. again. That's great. And since she's on the board, if she says something, we can't argue back. You know, so <laughs> whatever you say, we'll go. All right, listen, let's get into some questions. But first, we've we've planted a question already because we asked you during the week to answer the reflection question. Because as we go through the week, we want everyone thinking about this stuff, chewing it over and, and finding out for themselves. As a special feature to start, Sony, I'm wondering if, if you would be willing to answer the reflection question just to get yourself into the flow of the Swedenborg Live. So what did you, the reflection question is, is there a Bible story or passage that really speaks to you in a deep way? Do you have anything like that? Yes, I do. I, in addition to the usual wonderful Christmas stories and the Easter stories, there's a story that I learned as an adult that I didn't know very well when I was younger. And it's in the book of Judges. And there's a woman who's a judge way back thousands of years ago, and her name was Deborah. And I love the story both at the literal level as well as what Swedenborg tells us what it represents. And so in general, she's considered a prophetess. She's a judge. She sits outside under a palm tree. And people come up to her and she helps them figure out what to do if they have conflicts. Just love that. And then she's also called the mother of Israel. So I love just thinking of her, her maternal side as well as her wisdom side. And then Swedenborg tells us a little bit about the fact that one of the stories is that she inspires a very scared man who was a military guy who was really scared to go into battle. And she is his inspiration to go out and fight the what, what is represented as the evils of the world. And so Swedenborg tells us it's not so much that we need to advocate physical war or literal war, but we are when we're trying to be a good person and we're trying to live according to some truth, we're going to be tempted and we have to figure out how to push away the negative ideas. And that's what that really means, is to have that kind of 
courage. And we actually get stronger spiritually when we are tested or having a temptation like that. So I can really relate to that. Um, trying to do what I can in this world, trying to be a good person, but it's in the real life that you sometimes get those challenges. And hopefully it makes you stronger. Yeah, and that that takes something from being a story, even about a cool person a long, long, long time ago to being something that's very relevant right now. Like, yeah, I'll, I want to fight that battle. I wouldn't mind getting a little bit spiritually stronger. So that's such a great connection. Karin, what did the rest of the, what did the audience say? How, how did people answer this question since we posed it a few days ago? Yeah, just like in the past two weeks, we got many wonderful responses, great variety, had to edit them down a bit and couldn't include all of them. But here is a sampling of what you all responded. Uh, starting with Exodus 23:30, quote, little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. This right. verse covers so many aspects of my life. So that's relating to what Sony was talking about that just gradually we get the Lord helps us get rid of this negativity so that we can inherit a more heavenly state of mind. If you can't recognize incremental progress. You just feel like it's never going to work, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the poor widow's offering in Luke 20, that mm -hmm. is a very potent poignant, and sweet story. The Lord recognizing her offering, though it was smaller than other people's, but it, it was so much coming from her. When Abraham negotiates with God for sparing Sodom, and that mm -hmm. viewer also uh, just said that that affects him in a very deep way. And if you look at our show, The Meaning of Sodom and Gomorrah, we talk about how that, that conversation between Abraham and Jehovah to spare Sodom is actually representing Jesus's just aching, yearning to save as many people as possible who were, who were getting so caught up in in uh, negativity and evil. Go so it's very, very poignant when you realize that. Um, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Beautiful, familiar phrase. I, I won't sing it, but yeah. <laughs> well, Solomon offered a babe to be cut in half and from the actions of the two women determined the real mother. That's an amazing story about how Solomon makes this very... Um, difficult decision about what to do. The story of Job and how he held on with his faith for God. That's, that's meaningful to a lot of people, that story of Job, of just going through so many hardships and yet being able to hang on to a faith in God. The wheat and the tares, parables make sense to me. And I thought that was great. You know, parables are this amazing way of conveying with deep wisdom, uh, simple um, worldly stories. Uh, Matthew 20, 1 to 16, which is the parable of the hired laborers. That's a really interesting story for making you think about, you know, all the people that God accepts. And we might not think they deserve that, but, but uh, God is the one who knows um, where everybody's at. Uh, Genesis 1, 26, let us make man in our own image, that we're, we're all made in the image of God. Jesus turning over the tables of the money changers and dove sellers at the temple. He stood up for his beliefs and acted consequently. Yeah, that's a, that's a powerful scene to many people. Let those without sin cast the first stone. This is so deep to me. And that is really a tool to call upon 
when you're thinking critically about someone, think about now, wait, <laughs> am I so perfect? Um, can I be uh, understanding and forgiving? First John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Beautiful. Jesus, in his suffering, even at the end of his life, understands the fear of the thief to his right. Jesus is there for him. Thank you, loving Savior. That is a beautiful story of, yeah, Jesus always being concerned about others, even when he was in the worst possible pain. It's one of my favorite verses is just that, that story. Yeah, yeah, very potent story. Psalm 91, which includes under his wings, you shall take refuge and a lot of beautiful language about um, God sheltering us um, throughout our lives. The story of the nativity of Jesus Christ was always a favorite of mine. Yeah, mm -hmm. just such a beautiful story that just keeps giving, you know, <laughs> I never get tired of it. No greater love than this to lay down one's life for his friends. And that's really a beautiful story. That's really about laying down our, our own egos. I mean, not many of us are called upon to actually lay down our physical lives, but we're all called to lay down our, our ego life for the sake of others. Romans 8, 38 to 39, nothing, it, there's actually a long list of things that I needed to shorten this, but the verse is basically saying nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, Psalm 27, 10 to 14, which includes when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path. So that constant care, even if Maybe earthly people might not always be there for us the way they should be. The Lord is always there for us. Um, I read Isaiah 13 and thought it, I read Isaiah 13 and thought it very relevant. And it, it is full of a lot of kind of drastic imagery. And uh, Mark here said, when we think without God, loving ourselves only, we live in darkness and fear, fighting each other. So that's what he got out of that, which is very potent. And finally, the story of the loaves and the fishes that always was beautiful to me, that representing that constant spiritual food and drink that the Lord can always give to us. So those are awesome. Please go read on our social media and YouTube community page for more of the wonderful things that you all shared and, and the full versions that we had to edit down. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. And think about this. What's the story behind each each one of those that somebody would bother to list that what's the kind of comfort they've gotten throughout their life with that. There's there's something real there. So that's cool to think about. Hey, let's get to your questions right now. But first one, Nana Rosebud asks, I always wondered if Jesus will actually walk this earth again. Is it known if he's going to be a physical man or just his spiritual one? Is Jesus, what Jesus coming back? What does it mean? Jesus is coming back. Karen, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I'll share what Swedenborg learned about this. So, you know, every, people will have different ideas about this. But I think this is beautiful that um, Jesus is not coming back in, in a physical body a second time because he did that once and that was only needed to be done once. Um, and that body was glorified and became heaven in a mysterious way and, and can hold all, all people that... Uh, connect to him in love. Um, but the second coming is coming through the minds and hearts of people. You know, it's the second coming is the Lord now able to come through every individual and 
for every person that wants to wake up and and let God's love channel through and bring that to earth. That is the second coming, (laughs) coming through that person. And, you know, for each person that allows that to come through, the second coming is growing and growing in the world. And so it's through through this new understanding and this new uh, love that will is coming to earth from the Lord. And there were things that opened up that possibility. You know, Swedenborg witnessed this last judgment in the spiritual world that sorted things out and got rid of a lot of blockage that was making it hard for people to receive that presence of God, that presence of the Lord. And that happened right at the time that Swedenborg was writing and he was able to tell us things about it to help open up our minds. But it's this process Um, Just like the first coming is always happening, you know, in in individual lives, the second coming is an increased understanding and increased love that can be brought into the world and bring more of the Lord here to earth. Yeah, and I, I love, uh, I mean, it's, it's an idea in Swedenborg that really blew my mind when I got more familiar with it or spent some time with it, the idea that Jesus, through coming into the world as a human being and then living his life, taking on a human manifestation here um, and then glorifying that body um, and becoming the the resurrected, the glorified Christ that um, that like enabled through that act, the Lord was able to be fully present at the outermost level, like the, the outermost level of all creation and even the outermost level of our minds And we had been getting, like, the communication had been getting so um, interfered with and blocked that the Lord needed to come into the world, come to that outermost level himself and, you know, um, confront the the evil and falsity that was rampant. And then, um, but so you get, when you understand the reason behind it, then you get why he would never have to come again, because he's already come here and done that work. And through glorifying that body, there's no... That's how, that's why, um, you know, that God is described as the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, because that's that glorified um, divine human one that is exists and is accessible at all levels. Um, you know, the highest, highest heavens, closest, you know, obviously the spiritual son in the spiritual world, but then that through Jesus's life in the world, he made access to that love and wisdom, you know, um, open for us at this level, if we go through the process of of reformation and regeneration, you know, walk the path that he taught through his life in this world. So really amazing to me. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you think about, if I go to the supermarket and maybe you work at the supermarket and you see me come and then I leave and then later that day I come back, it's because I forgot something or it's because I couldn't get everything I wanted to get done, done when (laughs) I first showed up. Like why, it's just thinking about it. If Jesus like came to the earth and then came back to the earth, it just seems like what did you couldn't get it all done. But the idea that the, this first coming was really just a staging for the second coming, that the first coming was laying the groundwork, do, doing, you know, the, the uh, infrastructure so that God could be you know, here with all of us in this amazing way. Not saying I get wanting to, see God as a person that you can high five and hug. And yes, and that does happen in heaven, Swedenborg says. But as far as coming here, we're going to have, you know, 7 billion 
Jesus is, well, you know, Lord in everybody's hearts. And that's going to make a pretty awesome place. Yeah, uh, Sony, what do you think? Well, instead of just focusing on the time when he came and walked on the earth, um, I also like to put it in the timeline of going all the way back to the beginning where how did the divine reveal um, himself to the people at the time and appearances with angels and communication between the very ancient people and heaven was quite common. And then um, things happen over the, the centuries and then it seemed to be necessary, I guess, for him to come in person. And then I think of the time of when Swedenborg came uh, in preparation for that century of the 1700s and 1800s, uh, more and more people started to get educated so that they could read. And pretty soon the Bible was in the languages of people instead of just in one language, it was really more accessible. So people were more in freedom. Now, yes, there were organized churches, but for people to be able to start thinking for themselves and having a um, personal understanding of what these truths mean. I think that then when Swedenborg wrote down um, ideas that he uh, heard and saw, I think it was at a time where um, maybe not everybody was ready for it, but it's very interesting right now to see so many people fascinated. Um, do I learn about the divine in my organized church? Do I learn about it from a video like this? Do I learn about it by reading? And can I find uh, truth in many different religious traditions and the, all of those are true and so i think <clears throat> back in the time when jesus was here very few people could read very few and that and then centuries later many could read and now we not only have the books we also have online etc so i think um, the lord really knows ways to for us to connect with understanding and then trying to apply it to life so uh, coming in person, wow, that's pretty amazing when he was here as Jesus, but it's not the only way that there was a really strong connection between the divine and humans. Beautiful. There you go, Nana. Rosebud, thank you so much for asking. Before we get to the next question, hey, you may be feeling like, oh, I just love this content. I love hearing about it, talking about it. I wish there was some way that I could support it. Well, you definitely can. So we're not for profit, the Swedenborg Foundation. The only reason we can do this content and all the other content we put out is because people like you donate. We currently have uh, a match. So every time you donate, twice as much money comes to us. So if that's not incentive enough, though, you can get it tonight. We can get an extra 15 minutes of question answering if we meet our humble goal of raising $100 over the course of the show. You'll see there's a little thermometer somewhere on the screen here. And every time somebody donates, it goes up. If we get to 100 I'll, I'll beg the, the panelists to stick around and answer another question or two or three in that time. So please go to otle.cosvox.com and make your donation and make it possible for this programming, not just to, to continue for you, but to reach the next person who might be moved by it. Okay, the next question is from Peg B, who asks, does God ever spare our lives here? Let us live longer than planned for us to do more work here on earth. Okay, like you maybe you've got, you know, your your boxes checked. Is there ever um, a bit of that principle? Is it like the Bodhisattva that's I'm not going to reincarnate until everybody gets saved? You know, can we put in a little extra work here? Um, yeah, Karen, do you want to start? Yeah, I um, from what I understand um, in in the beginning, the original order of things, nobody was dying from accidents and illnesses and things. They, they lived a full life here to get 
what they needed done and then crossed over. And as things got more corrupted on this level, uh, we have lots of different reasons people die and often before their time, um, so to speak, uh, before they've lived into an old age. Um, but Swedenborg learned that even in this less than ideal state, um, there's divine providence is watching over when people cross over and carefully watching that, never willing that a person would die from an accident or an illness, but foreseeing all these imperfect things that happen in this world and, and um, making sure that the time the person crosses over will be fine for their spiritual development. And so they will not have missed any opportunities or, you know, not get a, a fair shake somehow that um, just to make sure that will work fine in their eternal uh, spiritual journey um, whenever that happens. And maybe Curtis will, I, I know in one of our shows, we, we referenced this um, spiritual diary passage that says that these four reasons why people die when they do. And um, maybe I'll let you go through through those because that's interesting but it, it in general it's it's always god watching over our spiritual journey and then also yeah our effect on others um both our earthly companions and our spiritual companions so that would have to do with what the person is asking um sometimes spending longer on earth like people might have an nde and come back because they got this feeling like there's more i need to do here either and, and both, always both for my own spiritual development, but also for other people. Um, there's things I still need to be here for. So I'll stop there and let some other people jump in. Yeah, well, let me go through those four that you were talking about. Uh, I don't remember what they are. Well, I always, it's so funny because there's this passage, yeah, tucked way away in Swedenborg's journal of spiritual experiences. And to my knowledge, it's the only time he talks about this concept. But this, the concept is why we die when we die which how could you not have that on the front page of something? And you'd think I would be able to remember it since I've talked about it several times. I remember, I remember ish. I know that the, he says here, these are the factors that determine how long we live on this earth. There is our usefulness to people on this earth, right? So that would be a little bit of what Peg is talking about with do, do more work here. There is our, I believe our own regeneration, our, our spiritual growth. If there's more work we can, that could, be, that could well be the kind of work she's talking about, but there's also our use to spirits and angels. So while we're here, our like thoughts and feelings create almost terrain for the spiritual world, that, that angels and spirits live in us in a way. So we, we are providing a service to heaven while we're here. And if that service really needs to happen, ah, you got to keep living. Uh, and then I think I'm pretty sure the fourth one is our use in the afterlife. Yeah. That whatever we, you know, I know people don't necessarily like it when, when someone says that like, God needed another angel because it doesn't really make you feel better when somebody dies. But if angels are really out there really working for the good of the human race and, and everything, you know, it could well be. So actually, maybe I did remember all four and, and I'm going to stop there while I'm ahead. Yeah, Sony. Well, there's two or three words in this question that I would like to comment on. One is the word... Uh, doing, and the other one is uh, longer than planned. So let's talk about the doing. I can remember when my dad was dying, and of course it felt like it was happening too soon. I was going to miss him terribly. 
And he and I started talking about the difference between being a human being and a human doing. <laughs> and as he was getting sicker and sicker and he didn't have the ability to, to do his use anymore, he was in bed a lot, oxygen tanks, etc. But he had a sphere about him, kind of, you've talked about auras, you know, he just, he stood for such good qualities and his love of his family and everything was so radiant from him that I started calling him that he was a he was being and just embodying those good things. And that has had an effect on me for the last 25 years that he's been gone. So the use continues, even though he physically was not doing very much anymore. Um, and so probably many of you who are out there watching this have uh, an elder who died and you miss them, but you can remember their good qualities. And so I think, you know, time doesn't matter if you emphasize those qualities of being or embodying really wonderful spiritual qualities. The other comment I wanted to make was about longer than planned. Who's planned? You know, <laughs> you know, I'm almost 70 years old is the plan that uh, at 72 and a half, you know, that'll be the average age of women dying. Is that the plan? Is, do I look at the insurance rates? You know, when do people typically die? Or do I think about the coronavirus, you know, that's going out there? So um, who's plan, you know? And I also I was laughing and thinking about some movies. There was one called Heaven Can Wait, you know, as if there was, you know, this guy who wanted to live a little longer and, and do a few more exciting things. Well, I think uh, we need to be a little more humble about the plan. We don't always know the effect we can have on others. And I think Karen mentioned that we will really continue to develop when we get to the next world. Swedenborg's pretty clear about the fact that you're not just at a gate okay heaven or hell it, you have this time in this in the world of spirits where you're going to continue to grow um in total freedom and so that time is there's not clocks or anything but there is sort of the feeling of a state of mind where you're going to continue to grow and so you can still do work that will uh, directly or indirectly affect others that's great and before we uh kick it over to chelsea i just want to say Thank you, Sharon. Sharon has started us off here. We are a quarter of the way to our goal. Now there's tension because we're almost halfway through the show and only a quarter away to the goal. Will it catch up? Won't it? Not that much hangs in the balance, but 15 minutes of good Q&A does hang in the balance. So feel free to go to otle.causevox.com and make that thermometer tick upwards. Thanks again, Sharon. Thank Chelsea, you. yeah, what do, what do you think? Yeah, well, I love hearing the thoughts that everybody shared on this subject. and. One thing that it makes me think of, um, well, I have a few things, but one is that uh, that whole idea of doing our work here on earth and like you were saying, our usefulness in heaven or, um, but that I do think as we, I mean, as we grow in a spiritual understanding of the presence of the spiritual world with us right now, I really, uh, I feel like there's a certain point in my life where I shifted from thinking about the people who I loved who had died, even, even like distant relatives that I loved a lot, even if we never talked on earth, it was like their death was sort of meaningless because they were still just as alive to me as they were before. And I still, they still come to me, you know, in terms of like, they just pop into my mind and they make me smile and I think about who they were. And so like their work on earth hasn't ended with the end of their life. So that's just an interesting sort of meditation to think about of like, you continue working on earth even after you've lost the vessel of your physical body in this world. Um, and then two sort of interesting historical examples that I was just thinking about recently 
about like getting your work done on earth. Um, one amazing story is one of the earliest followers of, um, you know, adherence to Swedenborg's ideas, who was a friend of his in his lifetime, was this guy named Dr. Beyer. And uh, he outlived Swedenborg. And one of his like, chief works that he wanted to do was write an index to all of Swedenborg's theological works. Um, and there's this story that he was getting the last sheet to the printer of this index that he had, you know, worked on for years since Swedenborg had died. Um, and, and then he himself passed away just days after that, like that, like talk about getting your work done and then like, <laughs> all right, I'm done. Um, it's pretty amazing, right? Like that sounds like that's the way these things should work. But Another example is, you know, Swedenborg himself, who left at least four, if not more, unfinished works when he died. <laughs> so it's like he had things he wanted to write. And did, did he write them when he got to the spiritual world? Are there like spiritual books of Swedenborg's or something that we'll get to read? Or uh, and anyway, just an interesting extra little tidbit that's, uh, you know, it's all in Providence for sure. And <laughs> yeah and does the spiritual off the left eye have more subscribers than spiritual subscribers than we do hopefully not i mean we've been working very hard here thank you um i want to say i mean it's got to get to what karen your father said you know close to when he was passing that's my grandfather um i hope the lord will use me as his best for everyone if you just think about the the confluence of factors and those four reasons why we're alive or dead i mean it's not like it's wrong to say I want to be here. And I'm very much like whenever I'm concerned about my health or, you know, I, I want to be here. I've got things I need to do. And, and of course you want to fight for that. But there is this, there is this like sort of this larger truth, which is like, we have, we don't know where, what, what we're needed for the most and when, and, and that's not just when we're thinking about death, it's just about every aspect of our life. You know, how does, this day go, do I achieve this goal or not? The, the, the Holy Land is getting to this idea of, I hope the Lord will use me as his best for everyone. That would be the stream of providence, uh, as Swedenborg put it. Um, Karin, did you have, want to say one more quick thing? Then we'll go to the next question. Yeah, I just wanted to add in for the, there can be feeling like someone went too soon, but there can also be situations where someone seems to be lingering, just a coma or a bad illness and you might wonder why can't they just go and um, I know I've heard I don't know I mean Swedenborg does talk about it in those four reasons um, but spiritual experience stories too have told me like there, there's things going on for the family and the friend the people close to this person and what they are processing through and maybe working together and so there's a lot of um, wonderful things happening. And I'm sure that person's spirit is also encountering stuff going on on the other side, even while they haven't quite left this body. So it can never be said that nothing's, you know, it's a total waste for someone to still be here, no matter what the circumstance. God is making sure good things are happening no matter what. Awesome. Good. Okay. So thank you, Peg, for the question. Hope that that was a fun answer for you. We got $75 to go before we make our 100. Now, we've had a very long streak of always making our 100. Could this be the time when we don't? Hopefully not, but I guess with what we were just saying, you know, the Lord will use this thermometer as his best for everyone. Uh, if you do wanna push it up, otle.cosvox.com. Young at Heart asks, what was the worst time 
Swedenborg had with biblical literalists? What passages did they argue with him most over? So, yeah, if we're talking about taking the Bible literally, and this is certainly, you know, a hill Swedenborg had to get up on and fight at times. What, what and I would say this could be either in the spiritual world or the physical world. Uh, yeah, what, what's he up against, Chelsea? Yeah, um, he, like, I can at least get the brainstorming going. I bet between the four of us, we can think of a lot. Um, I certainly don't know what the worst one is, but I know uh, one that comes immediately to mind is the subject of the Lord's Prayer um, itself. And we talked about it in our show, The Six Spiritual Powers of the Lord's Prayer, that spirits went after him for this for the point that he was making that, that the Lord's Prayer um, is actually about one God and doesn't uh, isn't about a trinity. So when, when it says, Our Father who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name, like the spirits got, um, were arguing, th- arguing with him about being like, no, see, those are two different, you know, you've got God and the, and the name, like separate, separate beings. Um, and, uh, and Swedenborg was holding his ground of saying, it's, it's talking about the divine human one. And when you get that right in your mind, then the Lord's prayer and, you know, heaven opens up to you in a whole, in a whole new way. So that's the first one that came to my mind. And that's, that's, that's a perk of being Swedenborg is not only are you arguing with people in the physical world, spirits are going to come and have theological arguments with you. So there's double duty there. Yeah, Karen. Well, I think that there, just uh, topic-wise, there are a lot of Bible verses that would be used, but uh, but a huge thing that Swedenborg would get attacked as a heretic about were things like the, the vicarious atonement doctrine that um, and that Jesus was a sacrifice to appease the Father, and therefore we just have to believe in Him, and then all our sins are taken away. And that was a huge thing that Swedenborg was. Um, writing against he was saying that to believe in that and to live like it doesn't matter how you treat people is a huge problem and a huge um misinterpretation of bible verses and there were you know there were certain bible verses that were being used to um, support that doctrine but swedenborg saw in the spiritual world what a huge um problem that was blocking people from heaven to just think it's all about the ideas in my head, doesn't matter um, how I live my life. And so I say that was something he got really attacked about. <laughs> there were people that wanted to hang on to that doctrine. And uh, similarly, it's very related to the Trinity concept um, that, that God is one, that Jesus was God, God coming to earth, and it's not a one being sacrificing for another. So that's one that pops to my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sony, did you have uh, another one? Well, I have um, a thought about people's ideas from the Bible about what will they do once they die? You know, we have the phrase rest in peace, or we have the phrase of we will eat at a sort of a banquet with Abraham and Moses, or we will um, pray all day long, or we'll sing glory to God all day long. And in the book of Marriage Love at the beginning, I think it's so almost funny where each of those scenarios separately, but each of those scenarios where people think, this is what we'll do once we die. Okay, we'll all gravitate over here and we'll just feast forever or we'll sing praise forever or we'll, and each one of those, as Swedenborg saying, actually, no, that's not heaven. Heaven is actually 
being useful. It's not just sitting around on a cloud. It's being useful to each other in our own unique ways. And I have the feeling that was a pretty revolutionary idea. I mean, we still have the idea of uh, a final resting place, or um, maybe there is no afterlife in some people's minds. But uh, he was saying, guess what? We're preparing now to learn how to use our talents to be useful. But in the next world, we're really going to figure it out. And that's where we get to feel the Lord flowing through us. And that's what joy is. That's, a, that's such a good one. Oh, this is cool. Thinking about you know, what, what are all of uh, the things that Swedenborg got grief about from people? I would say that if Swedenborg had a nemesis, it might be we are justified by faith apart from the works of the law, faith alone, that he just says that that had killed the Christian church. There's a lot that there was in his day, a lot of people who said, look, it doesn't matter. The love doesn't matter. It's the ideas. It's a, do you belong to the club? That's what matters. And he he goes after that so hard since it causes all these problems in the spiritual world. So even even talks about it as the dragon in, in Revelation, unless I'm mistaken. So Swedenborg versus the dragon there was definitely a lot of um, a lot of storms there. Hey, I just want to say thanks to Arla. We are, the streak continues. We now have met our goal, oh, and wow. we will be doing yeah. an extra fifteen minutes. So, I really appreciate that, Arla. Um, and Karen, did you have one last thought on this? Sony made me think of just a tangent on that. Is the idea of um, everyone staying asleep in the ground until judgment day, that that was a, a big doctrine that Swedenborg was speaking out against and that people had very strong ideas um, in, in favor of. Yeah, yeah, you never know what people get defensive about. Like, no, I want to stay in the ground. Yeah, Chelsea. Oh, just the one that you were referencing, Curtis, it's Romans 328, if anybody's wondering. And I, the frame jumped to me at one point when Sony was talking because I was like shuffling in my Bible finding it. <laughs> so I'm glad you called that one out. <laughs> yes. I saw you shuffling and I was like, oh no, she's not getting that one first. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next question. I want to say thanks to Mindy. Mindy has made a contribution. Thanks so much. Every contribution that's made today gets doubled and it's effectiveness to us, the left eye. So just because we hit our goal doesn't mean you can't support us, otle.causevox.com. Okay, Sarah Bean, if that's how I pronounce it, asks, God says we are here to give love and receive love. What happens if we don't finish what we're supposed to do and we go to heaven without finishing what he wanted us to do? So this is a, a, a twist on, on what we had earlier, but it's specifically about, you know, isn't the main goal of life give and receive love? So yeah, Sony, do you want to lead us off here? Again, I think it's interesting. Sometimes I like to imagine that, you know how there's a relay race and one person runs for a while, then they hand off a little baton to another person who then hands a baton or like the Olympic fl uh, flame, you know, one person runs for a while. And if I use that metaphor in my head, then I don't get quite so egotistical that I have to get everything I think I should get done before I'm dead. And it's all about me and I'm going to win, you know, the Nobel Peace Prize and the Olympics and, you know, be elected to a high office. You know, we, our ego gets kind of excited about us doing things. And it's, it's more humbling for us to realize that we're part of a sequence of ideas or in, our influence can be quite uh, going in ways that we didn't even know about. So I, I encourage people to think about, well, what is it that you love to do? and scale back the amount of the accomplishment and just think of 
how can I do this with sincerity, with kindness, and leave the other person in freedom? Then I'm not, then I'm going to go away from this domination of I'm going to accomplish all these things and be on the front of Time magazine. So I think it's a different kind of an idea of what does it mean to finish things? Yeah. In, in, uh, new, oh, sorry, Karen, go ahead. I, yeah, it, the, it jumped to me, so I'll just <laughs> continue. Yeah, great, great thought, Sony. And I try to encourage people to think of earthly life as, as a starting place for everything. Our life, eternal life is so long and we are, we're not supposed to f uh, worry about finishing things here on earth. The earth life is for starting things. It's for getting started. It's for um, choosing a general direction. It's for choosing what we want to become and starting to work on that. And it's not about having to finish any particular amount of stuff. It's, it's just like making our very basic heart decisions. Like what, what kind of a person do I hope to become and turning in a direction. And then we will just continue with that, that journey after we die, whenever we die. And so it, it doesn't matter in the end how many things we got done on earth externally, that, that uh, direction we chose, we'll get to keep unfolding that on and on forever. But while we're here, everything we are doing is good practice. I sometimes think about like earthly life as preschool, you know, in preschool they're doing all these cute activities to, um, to develop themselves. And, you know, it doesn't matter if this child finished that painting or whatever, everything they're doing is just developing their ability to be a person and to think and to feel. And, and so on earth, it's, we're just developing, we're just developing um, abilities and we're only getting started and we're gonna, we have tons and tons of time of time to keep going after we die. Yeah, right. It's not necessarily about uh, filling up the fridge with with uh, preschool drawings. Yeah, Sony. <laughs> Another thought is um, in true Christianity, and I happen to know this number because it's one of my favorites. It's number 443. Mm. And in this very short little thing, it talks about some stages of our moral and spiritual growth. And it's not counting up how many things we got accomplished. It's about what's going on in our mind. And my favorite is the fourth stage which says, when you're at that stage, you are becoming deliberate and purposeful. So it's not just randomly, occasionally doing a good thing, like, you know, helping your neighbor do something, but you are intentionally, deliberately, and purposefully trying to be of use. Now, that might mean you have to refine a skill. Let's say you're a singer, and you need to practice and practice and practice so you can have a beautiful voice. Or if you're a good writer, you might need to write and write and write until you get better at it being deliberate and purposeful. And it's, a, it's an interesting thing because um, prior to this virus going around, the pandemic, a lot of people would say, I don't have any time. I just don't have any time. And now people, a lot of people have a lot of time on their hands and they're fiddling away with doing puzzles and watching Netflix all the time. But some people I know are deliberately and purposefully trying to figure out how can I use my time better? How can I be more efficient at work? How can I be kinder to the people I'm stuck with at home? How can I communicate well with the people I do know, that even if they're far away, and to try to do it with kindness? And that's being deliberate and purposeful. And Swedenborg says, that's what matters. 
and there's no quantity there. It doesn't how many how many dollars you have in the bank. It's are you being deliberate and purposeful in how you do try to live your life, whether you're here or in the next world. Yeah, and something that uh, rides on what Karen and Sony have both been saying that I think of with Sarah's question is that um, what we're supposed to do, and you know, going to heaven without finishing what God wanted us to do, and uh, God's main objective his his only agenda is saving us is our salvation um like that's what he wants is a is a heaven from the human race and the lord's designed the whole world and um you know divine providence works to this end to make it so we can have uh, access to the means of salvation while we live in this world so the um the lord is always looking out that things will happen that can forward that goal and uh and like that sort of those stages that Sony is talking about and, um, and, and the work that just continues to grow in the spiritual world is our own regeneration. We get that started here. And, and something that Swedenborg says is that we only have to make the first step while we're in this world. And then that sets us on this trajectory to continue to grow. Um, and so that turning to the Lord and turning away from evil and what's harmful is what starts to align us with, with the salvation the Lord wants for us. And so if we've turned, you know, made that choice, made any sort of choice, one step towards, I'm not going to do this thing because I know that's harmful. I'm going to try to do this thing in my life a little bit differently. You've already accomplished, you know, what, uh, if anything else that you do in your life just is going to further build on that foundation and the Lord is going to get to use that to continue, you know, for you to continue to grow forever. And um, so I don't think, you know, we, uh, we're not disappointing God. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. And it makes me think about who's really in our corner, because I've had thoughts similar to that. You hear Swedenborg talk about the good that we cultivate in ourselves here has these amazing returns in the afterlife. He talks about if people have loved honesty and fairness, everything, their face is beautiful and shining and their houses are amazing looking and it pays off. So I can get to feeling like I got to squeeze in everything I can here. So I'll have a really good afterlife, but really happiness in heaven. God is the one that cares that I'm happy in heaven. I don't relative to God. I'm, I'm basically next to God. I'm trying to ruin my own life. God is the, our eternal happiness and making sure we get to the maximum happiness we possibly can is more on God's mind and more in God's heart than it is for us. So it's not like, oh, please, please just bend the rules. Let me be here so that it'll pay off for me in the afterlife. We're just walking around blindly, like potentially tripping over cliffs while God is orchestrating us to get as happy as possible. So you can be sure that whenever we move on, it's because if we move on at that moment, that is going to lead us to the very happiest afterlife we can possibly have. So it's just good to remember that that when you hear that idea that God loves us more than we love ourselves, that includes loving our future and, and providing for it. That really, we next to God, we, we don't have our own backs at, at all, you know. So thank you so much for the question. Um, and let's, uh, let's move on to the next one. This is from Alan Polilis, who asks... Oh, good. It's something I don't know the answer to. Very curious about Gnostics. They had some truth, but I'm not sure about all they say. 
wonder if Swedenborg speaks of them. I wonder, I, not that any of us are going to be made into a gift, but I guess you could make me saying, oh, I don't know the answer to this, a gift. You know, and it's like, yeah, whenever you're thinking of someone who doesn't know the answer, it put me up there. But what do you think? What do you guys think? The Gnostics, does Swedenborg ever mention Gnostics? Karin? I, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think so. I mean, the Gnostic Gospels were, I think they were discovered in the 1800s. Not, and Swedenborg was died in 1772. So I don't believe that's a set of writings he was uh, familiar with. Um, you know, the manuscripts that we now think of as the Gnostics. Um, but I do think there are um, some very similar ideas in, I, I'm not super familiar with them, but I have read a, a little bit and heard a little bit and, and definitely like Gospel of Thomas, sentences sound very Swedenborgian sometimes and and then there's other things if if I'm correct the the idea of the demiurge I think that's a Gnostic idea which is this this sub god that's more angry than the and so that would not align with with Swedenborg's um the things that he learned but I think there's a lot of beautiful beautiful concepts in the Gnostic gospels that I think are very aligned but I think the answer is I don't believe Swedenborg mentioned them at all because they weren't discovered yet on Earth. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, oh yeah, he, that wouldn't have really been on his radar. Sony, what do you think? I agree with um, her on this one in that I think it's fun to just take the word Gnosticism and I think it means to know. And the, the actual manuscripts that had been found like in deserts inside of a clay jar or something didn't come around until after he was passed away from this Earth. But I think it's fun to expand beyond just those specific things and just the variety of different ways people tried to know. And again, it was often a mixture between what did they have access to from their religious traditions? What did they get as a spiritual insight? Uh, what did they make up? Uh, what was just fun to debate and know I'm better than my ideas are better than yours and little arguments were going on because some people thought Jesus was completely um, spiritual and others say no he's more of a man and and there was a lot of disagreement doesn't that sound familiar you know people yeah. have different ideas about politics and religion and i think the emphasis is on um knowing and understanding truth and there's many levels of it and again our ego can get twisted in there because i'm smarter than you are and and I have access to God and you don't. And so there was a lot of uh, disagreements. I don't think we should throw all of them out, but I think it's fun to kind of look at them. I did read the one of um, the manuscript about the Gospel of Mary because I was doing a study on Mary Magdalene and found it fascinating about, you know, what was her role according to that document and who wrote that down? She didn't write it down. Somebody else wrote it down. And so did things get lost in the translation and then we uncover them 1800 years later and are they true or not? I think it's fun to look at them and get familiar, but hold them lightly. They may or may not be as valuable as some of the uh, ideas of things that Jesus we were pretty sure really did say or what Swedenborg interprets. Absolutely. And I do think it's worth pointing out to the audience if, if anyone's not familiar that well, he doesn't mention those extra biblical texts. He does talk about extra biblical texts that are part of the word. I'm thinking of the ancient word that he describes, which he says, actually bits of what we now think of as the Bible were copied from the ancient word, but it had its own extra 
books, the Wars of Jehovah, these different parts, as far as we know, it hasn't been found. But it's not that the word has to be that one book. There are other texts that could share in the word, even if uh, he doesn't mention yeah. the Gnostics. Yeah, and I think, like, because well, I don't know anything about the Gnostics, really, but what it makes me think of is sort of essential about the word that Swedenborg wrote uh, is that, <laughs> not the word that Swedenborg wrote, but I mean what Swedenborg <laughs> wrote about the word is that um, uh, the word is written in correspondences, he says, and so it, it has become this vessel of this connection to heaven because it holds um, heavenly wisdom within it. And, and he says that's a special, like that's the Old Testament and New Testament, true for both of those. And, and I don't know, like, it's hard to dig into this, you know, uh, but that I, the reason, I'm sort of speculating right now, but I feel like part of the reason of why the New Testament is that way is because we're hearing Jesus speaking and Jesus as the word made flesh speaks entirely in correspondences. So everything he does is a correspondence. And so he's just living correspondence, but this connection between heaven and earth. Um, and then Swedenborg goes as far as to say that the, um, like the acts and the epistles that happen after the Lord's life, they're not written in correspondences in the same way, even that the new Testament and old Testament are. And so, um, uh, so they're still, they're still conveying useful spiritual ideas, but they don't, they're not like serving as this vessel in the same way of, of, um, of connection between he the heavenly meaning and the literal level, which is what we're exploring this week and, in, in about the Bible. And, um, and that's why you get the Bible saying such weird stuff is because it's not meant to make sense literally, but the literal words that it's using are these vessels for a spiritual idea. And so I can read about, you know, the Lord saying, I'm going to dry up the seas and then my fire's going to come. And, and then I'm going to make all these waves happen in the sea that maybe I just dried up, you know, um, that those things have spiritual truth that are talking about what's happening in my mind. And, um, and so that's what the word, uh, is conveying to us. And so, um, so I would guess that the Gnostic gospels could potentially have some connection to that, like get you talk in similar words that maybe convey useful spiritual truth like that, but they're maybe not necessarily serving as that like correspondence vessel that the word is. Yeah, it seems like there is this technological function to the the correspondential parts of the word. And I would love to see that break it down to a molecular level. If, you know, if you write the word the, the as equivalent occurs in the Bible, but are you quoting it from the Bible? Because the way Swedenborg describes the Bible in, in the spiritual world, it has like it emanates light and it emanates, it changes the environment around it. So it's, it is this like highly charged thing. And I wonder how can you, does it have its own particular DNA? How does it maintain its integrity? All, all very fascinating stuff to ponder. Um, yeah, should we, do you guys want to move on or you want to say one or two more things? That's okay. Go ahead. Okay. I, I'd like to just say one more thing that, that a cool thing to, there's, there's the, a, a technical, um, the word as we're talking about, like this, this very complete story that has a correspondential consistency that's telling about the whole human story. And, and then there's, um, the word in the sense of God speaking truth that can come through all sorts of avenues. And so what, whatever you read, like Sony was referring to earlier in the show, 
um, whatever you read, and it can be a song on the radio. You know, if, if you feel like something's reaching your heart with a message that rings true, um, you can consider that there, there's truth in there, that God's using that vehicle to, uh, to reach you and talk to you uh, no matter what uh, manuscript it is, whatever. So you can think of it that way too. All right. Thank you so much for the question, Alan. Let's go to Veritas Vos Libera Bit, who asks, what is Swedenborg's meaning and commentary on the communion or breaking bread in Christ's name? Didn't we always say, who is it? Chelsea does always say, we got to do a show on these rituals because Swedenborg does say something about the rituals, including communion. Now, hopefully we know what that is. Um, does anybody? Do you want to start, Chelsea? Because you've never had... Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I certainly have been saying we should do a show on this. This is it. This is our show. No, yeah, this is my time to shine. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, um, so what do I want to say about it? So the um, it's something that comes to mind in response to this question, at least one one thing I'll just put on the table, but is uh, that... Swedenborg says that there is there speaking of correspondence there is a correspondence going on in in communion and in breaking bread in Christ's name and that the bread and the wine correspond to the Lord's love and wisdom and um and it's coupled with baptism because in baptism that's like our initiation into spiritual life into um or it's a correspondence of us starting on the path of spiritual growth and taking communion is a representation of us continually, you know, um, turning away from evils and falsities in ourselves, and opening ourselves up to receiving the Lord's love um, and and wisdom inside of us, and the sort of that's that's the change that's going on when we're being regenerated. Um, and uh, and so the Swedenborg says some pretty amazing things about it. I mean, he has a whole chapter in True Christianity devoted to it. I'm sure, and New Jerusalem probably too, and. Um, and uh, it was important to him in his own spiritual life too, which is pretty interesting. And he, um, uh, you know, so it's not, there, there's sort of an interesting meaning going on, like doing those sort of outer rituals is useful and important. And it's like engaging in this correspondence. Um, and uh, so, so yes, that, that's what I'll start with. That's yeah statement. <laughs> I well, this is something I really do like about Swedenborg's worldview or theology is you would you might think based on some of his it's all about your heart and mind stuff that he would say, well, these rituals that somebody made up, they don't bind us. It's what he but even though it has to be filled by the spirit of what you love and what you care about, the ritual itself does matter. It does do something. And I think that's a cool flavor that I just don't know if it's out there that much. So th there is something in these, it's gotta have the, the mind and the heart there, but actually the, the physical thing does does some of this connecting of heaven and earth. Yes, Oni. Um, speaking from a point of view of psychology, I'm thinking, um, building on what you just said, is that it's not just the physical ritual of doing something, it's making it an episode in your mind and so if you if you're genuinely wanting it to be a ritual that matters which is a choice 
if you're genuinely thinking about why is this symbolic, such as wearing a ring because I'm married or going through the ritual of thinking about what it was like at the Last Supper and really pondering that or a baptism, whatever that form might be, welcoming any human into the family. Um, if we choose to make it really meaningful, that, that's a choice. And then our brains will recall it better if our heart and our mind and our physical activity and maybe even the smells and the tastes and the songs, you, you unite all these different lobes of your brain where memories are laid down. And then it's sort of connected by this emotion, if you choose. You can go through any of those rituals and be meaningless. You can even go through a wedding, meaningless. You can go through having communion every week, like some church traditions do. They, they have a simplified version of the Last Supper every week. And, and you could be meaningless after a while, just like you know stopping at a stop sign because you always have to do it. But if you choose to bring in your heart and your mind and the activity and really savor it, that can be what we call an episodic memory that can bring great joy during times of trouble because we either made a commitment to a marriage or a commitment to bringing this child up and, and trying to introduce uh, him or her to God. And, and you can really make these things sort of moments in time that will really something you can draw on later on. And so I think that's really fascinating from both a psychology and a Swedenborgian point of view. Oh, I love the idea of storing up something for the hard times that you are in those precious memories making something you can look back on uh, and and draw strength from i love it yeah karen yeah that's so powerful so thinking of it psychologically and spiritually that's awesome and i think it's just so powerful how swedenborg learned that um external actions can be totally empty you know we can do anything externally without it connecting to anything deeper but if it does connect to a deeper intention that is good then that external action actually has power and swedenborg seems to be indicating that the rituals of baptism baptism and communion are doing very real spiritually powerful things if we if we are in a state of mind, like Sony's talking about, where we're, we're really there, we're really present to it, we're really connecting that ritual with a deeper connection with God and wanting to receive God's goodness and God's truth, that there is, there are powerful things going on, <laughs> Swedenborg says, and, and that correspondence is this powerful force that could even um, back in the Bronze Age, when people were not were in not in a very deep spiritual state at that point in in human history, and yet the reason Swedenborg learned that the Israelites were called to that to do all these rituals and build this tabernacle this certain way and everything was because those actions could actually keep a connection going with heaven even when the people's minds and hearts weren't engaged very deeply and that could serve <laughs> temporarily so that says to me like there's power in correspondences in outer actions that correspond and for our own spiritual growth we need to engage the deeper the deeper aspects to have them actually change us or do something for our spiritual growth but just in themselves they they are powerful actions 
And yeah. I think you get a, a really mundane level of that happening in the way your environment affects you psychologically. So if I am uh, putting in some time now to clean something up and get something in order, I know a little while from now when I'm in a, some kind of negative state, having that thing cleaned and those dishes done will boost me in that state. So you're kind of doing this little, get the corresponding, you, you know, you, you get your environment to correspond to a mind in the order of heaven so that when yours isn't, you can actually look at that and get a little boost from it. Yeah. So, hey, well, yeah. I wanna, if I could just jump in on the end here, because um, that this show that I imagine doing someday, which we're doing right now, is, <laughs> is about... Um, it comes back, it's all of this stuff that we've been talking about with ritual and how important and, um, uh, you know, useful ritual is and how it makes sense with a spiritual life, with that spiritual in, inward life that's going on. Um, and and I feel like there's something so core about it because Swedenborg describes that in the earliest age, what he calls the golden age then, that the science of correspondences was the science of sciences, he says. Like just understanding correspondence was the biggest deal. Um, and I think because it was all about how does the spiritual, the, the spiritual things rest in the physical world. And we are these embodiments that house both levels inside of us at once. And, um, and he, and so then like in an even bigger way, like it connects right into just God uh, as the divine human one. And what we were talking about earlier in the show of how, of being, in the innermost level and the outermost level at the same time. And so there's like, we participate in that uh, when we take a spiritual intention and then ground it in a physical act. Uh, and if we make up a ritual or, or it's in, you know, people find meaning in gardening and just, you know, whether it's just in your life, like you're saying, cleaning or something with um, you create, uh, you know, spontaneously or something that holds so much power for this for our process of spiritual growth so i just think that's super fun to think about yeah to think about all this stuff is fun to think about go ahead go ahead Karen. and then we gotta we gotta move to our next question yeah just kind of like feeling love for somebody but then grounding it in an actual hug or some words you know there's just power in bringing it into action love and wisdom as in form Hey, so right now we're in the bonus round. We should have stopped six minutes ago, but because <laughs> because of Sharon and Arla and Mindy, here we are. So we hope we're we're making you proud right now, and we're gonna get to spend the some more of this time talking about a really fun subject. Because our next question is from Sean Smith, who asks, "Can you tell me more details about the coming of the new church?" Mm. Swedenborg predicted a new religious era for the human race, said it was going to be pretty awesome, maybe even said it was going to be the crown of all churches that have hitherto existed in the world. So what's that going to be like? And are we going to be glad when it lands? Go ahead, Karen. Yeah, it's great to keep in mind that a church is a, a state of mind, you know, that that the way Swedenborg talks about it and the way Swedenborg talks about the new church. It's not an outer organiz organization. It's a state of mind and it's first and foremost a relationship with God. And so if you think of a new church as being a new kind of relationship with God, that's really cool for me to think about. 
and in a chapter in his book, True Christianity, Swedenborg has a chapter about the second coming and the, and the coming of the new church. And the new church, which is symbolized by the holy city, New Jerusalem, um, is this new relationship with God. And in that chapter, in that book, True Christianity, Swedenborg explains that the new church is going to have a, an ability to know God that has never happened before. And even, even in the most ancient golden age, it, it seems to me that was more like an innocent child-parent relationship with God um, without you know, more sophisticated understanding of who this person is that you're in relationship with. And you think of a, any relationship with a person, the more you get to know about them, the closer the relationship can be because you more know who you are in a relationship with. And so through the ages, um, there's just been this <laughs> journey, kind of like the journey of a, of a child growing up, you know, first this close, innocent uh, relationship with the parents and not really knowing them at all, but just, but just loving them. And then going through this uh, independence uh, of childhood and adolescence and young adulthood, but can come around to a new kind of relationship with the parent of now really knowing, knowing them and freely choosing this relationship. And this is what the new church is like a freely chosen relationship with God, because now you know more about God and, the new church, like Swedenborg had a role in, in helping this new church get started here by learning more about God and about providence and about God, how God is present in the word and in our lives. And all this new understanding gives us this opportunity to know, know God better and to know how God is operating in our lives. And so we have this opportunity to get in a closer relationship and appreciate this love that is being offered to us all the time. And so that is the new church. And it's a process that it will take a long time, <laughs> but the promise is it will come fully more and more fully to earth and heal the world's ills and um, really bring a lot of happiness and peace. So I'll, I'll stop there for now. It doesn't sound so bad. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Is uh, Sony or Chelsea, do you have any th thoughts on that? Uh, well, I was just going to say that it, there are a lot of details about it. And it was really like the, the coming of the new church was the whole focus of Swedenborg's uh, works. And he, you know, beginning with Secrets of Heaven and then carrying all the way through to his last work, True Christianity, last published work. And one of the manuscripts that was left unfinished at the time of his death was a document called invitation to the new church, um, to all of Christendom, like, I mean, really the whole world. Um, and, uh, and so, and, and I was, oh, I was going to just recommend particularly the work New Jerusalem, um, which you can get on the Swedenborg Foundation website. That is the teachings for the new church, like sort of in, it's his sort of shortest, most condensed, like, here's, here's how to be the new church and it like uh, how to live as a part of that. And I really love what Karn was saying that, um, you know, it, it sort of gets at the spiritual reality of, of things and not is not really about um, who's right, whose faith is correct or this or that. It's really just understanding the reality of each of our relationship with the Lord, like Karn was saying. And, um, 
And so it's something that we can all participate in, no matter what our uh, religious upbringing is from. Um, and, and so learning about it is explore a lot of Swedenborg's works. And I would say start with New Jerusalem and True Christianity too begins like number two or three talks about this faith of the new church. Um, and it's just very simple. It's just like, you know, do there's one God and don't do evil, do good. And you know, everything else is going to fall into place. And so, yeah, that's my contribution. <laughs> Tony. Well, I think that it's interesting. I, I try to let go of the tradition uh, respectfully of when I've gone to visit graveyards where you may have people grouped by their religious tradition, you know, maybe folks of the Jewish tradition or certain different um, denominations of Christian, et cetera. And I respect that, that people want to kind of hang with the people that they felt that they were alike. But I'd like to set that aside and uh, share what I love uh, uh, Swedenborg talks about as we move through the world of spirits and figure out who we really are and develop our loves more intensely. It's almost like there's a north-south and an east-west continuum of the heavens. And on one of those continuums, it's, I wanna know a little bit of truth versus I wanna know a lot of truth. And people are somewhere along that line. And then this one is, I can be a little bit loving to other people. And down here is, I wanna really be loving to people. And then there's all these places, if you can think of it almost like a big graph paper, people will gravitate toward the society of people that they their loves are like. And so for people who really love to study the truth and they're scholarly, it doesn't matter what religious tradition they were on earth, they can be together and they can uh, discuss it and enjoy all those details, whereas other people just want a few simple truths, that's enough. And again, on the other dimension about how much am I uh, loving to other people, it might be very demonstrative or maybe very reserved. and. It doesn't matter where your body was buried. It doesn't matter what your historical faith was. Those were good preparations, almost like a dress rehearsal, but what really matters. And that to me is what the new church is. Incredible variety of societies in heaven. And yet it's not based on what tradition you might've been born into. Yeah, the, some of the preparation for the coming of the new church was accomplished by what Swedenborg called the last judgment. She said with this big reordering in the spiritual world in 1757, where much like we talked about Jesus Christ coming down to the world here to build out that infrastructure for our salvation. The last judgment was changing the nature of the, all the, how the spiritual world was organized. And the effect of that, he said, life in the world goes on much as before, but people's minds changed then. He said, people can think more clearly and more freely in terms of particularly spirituality and religion now. So that is something that's a, a precursor to the, the new church. And I think we were already talking about what's it like when the new church comes back and we were talking about what's the second coming of Jesus, that, that the new church is this God showing up. Swedenborg talks about it in, in a new understanding of the word, that there is a way that we get it in a new way. But we talked also about how the word is this expansive thing and that can go across multiple texts and God can reach you in different ways. So to me, the new church is, yeah, you, a, a connection with God that is both felt and understood 
ends in its plane, you know, and that we, we move more and more into that and that there's going to be a way in which, you know, the, the prediction that we talked about in a couple of videos here of scholarly study, rationality, spirituality are going to be one thing that we're not going to have to, just like you're talking about not boxing people by their different religions, not having to say, well, here's the religious stuff that I sort of think doesn't totally make sense, but I love the way it feels. And then here's what we really know about the world. That stuff is going to become one that's going to say, look, the, all the love and all the spirit stuff is put, pointing us in the same direction of everything that we know about the life. Uh, that's going to be, I think that's going to be part of uh, the new church experience. And um, we're out of time. So I want to say and we had some questions coming right at the end that we're not going to get to. So we're very sorry about that. But take your question. And as soon as this stream ends, post it below. And our community team led by Karin will get back to you. And they're very thorough. So we're sorry we didn't have time for that. We'll have to next time I'll have to try to get two 15 minute segments <laughs> on the end here. I just want to say that the, the fun doesn't stop right now. Um, you can continue to support us and the match is still there. Go to otle.causevox.com, make your donation. And part of what we do, what we do with that funding is continue to make this content and to show we're serious about making content. We've got cool stuff coming up on Sunday. The, another episode of Inside Off the Left Eye, the podcast comes out. This one is Love in the Bible and Swedenborg's Change in Spiritual State. And then next Monday, we have a new episode of Swedenborg in Life. John 3.16 does not conflict with a God that loves everyone. Oh, we're just going to go after one of the most popular verses in the Bible. Maybe that'll be the one Swedenborg gets the most pushback about. So that, so we want to bring that love in and connect it with those ideas of truth. Thanks, everyone in the audience, for you watching and participating, you know, whether you're watching during this live or afterwards. It really means a lot to us. We love getting to talk about this. And to everybody on this panel, thank you so much. That was really a joy to get to hear uh, what what you had to say. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. I love getting to be here and love getting to talk about the new church of the world. All right, everybody. Be safe and be spiritually open and happy. And, you know, let's get that new church started now. There's no reason we got to delay it. Let's go for it. See ya. <laughs>